The other day, I took Luke to get some blood work done. He regularly has to go and have some blood drawn to test it to see how he's doing with his health. And so as we were on our way there to get the blood work done, uh, he asked me several times, Dad, where are we going? And I kept telling him, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. You'll see when we get there. No, but Dad, where are we going? No, nah, don't worry about it. You'll feel, okay, so finally he sees where we are going. As we pull into the parking lot, he knows what's coming, so immediately he starts to cry and tell me, I don't want to go, Dad, I don't want to go. Okay, now why does he not want to go? Because needles hurt, right? Uh, he knows there is some pain. Now, after we get in there and the girl's very good and she draws his blood, how long did his pain last? Okay, it lasts only for a moment, right? By the time he gets off the table and he walks over to pick out one of the stickers off of the wall that he gets to take home with him, he's back to his normal bubbly self, okay? Was the pain real? Yes, okay? But is it over quickly? Okay, also, yes. All right, and that's the way a lot of the pain in our lives works. You know, I remember when I was a kid, the pain of striking out at the plate, Okay, or falling down and scraping my knee. Okay, or even later as we grow older and become adults, there's also pain very similar to that in our lives. Maybe you get dressed down by your boss and there's that momentary pain. Or maybe someone you love says something hurtful to you that wounds you. Okay, you know that kind of pain? You've been there before? You understand what that's like? Right? And if you're ever in that kind of pain, or if you have a friend or a loved one that's in that kind of pain, some good advice is what I will call the Annie advice. Okay? Uh, my wife and I got to go see Annie a few weeks ago at the Fox Theater, and Annie is a great philosopher, and she has some great advice for that kind of pain. Okay, what is the Annie advice? The sun will come out tomorrow. All right? Yes, you had a bad day, but don't worry about it. We'll get them tomorrow. Okay, so you struck out. Get back to the plate and try it again. Put it out of your head and keep going. Okay, so you skinned your knee. Get up and walk it off. Let's go. I think one of the single phrases that I use most often as a parent of young boys is shake it off, right? Because constantly they're bumping something or hitting each other or whatever, and I keep telling them, it's okay, just shake it off. Put the pain behind you. Keep going. Okay, and for most of the pain that we experience in life, that's really good advice. Okay, for most of the daily problems that we face, what we need to do is we need to just keep moving and trust that tomorrow will be better. There's highs in life, there's lows in life. You're going to have bad days, you're going to have good days, and so if you're having a bad day today, keep moving because the law of averages states that tomorrow is probably going to be better than today. Right, but what about the deeper pain? Okay, what about the kind of pain that lasts? What about the kind of pain that creates something wrong in your life that will not get better? Maybe you lose a loved one. Maybe you lose your health. Maybe you lose a marriage. Okay, what happens when the loss in life is something meaningful? I remember when we were sitting in a hospital and we learned that Luke would either not be born at all or he was going to face significant medical challenges for his entire life. Okay, there were only two possibilities for what was going to happen with Luke. 
either he doesn't get born at all or faces significant struggles his whole life. Okay, this is not a momentary kind of pain, right? This is not the, oh, just shake it off, right? But I remember people trying to be helpful offering us the Annie advice, right? Oh, it'll get better. It's going to be okay. Right, but what I'm asking about this morning is what about the times in life where it's not going to get better? Where it's not going to be okay? okay? What about the times in life? What do we do with the times in life when the anti-advice just isn't going to cut it? All right, well, in our sermon series so far, we've talked about the importance of lament. Okay, if life is going to have pain, which life is going to have pain, then we need to have the kind of relationship with God that we can take that pain and we can include it in our relationship with God. We need to be honest with God. Okay, which is easy to do when things are great, right? It's easy to sing songs of praise when life is going well. It's easy to give thanks to God when everything's going my way. It is harder to be honest with God when we're in pain, but if we learn anything from Lamentations, we need to get over that. You know, a couple of days ago, in his morning prayers, Sam told God how thankful he was for his Avenger shoes, okay, because he got a new pair of Avenger shoes, and they're really cool, right? They've got Iron Man and Captain America on those shoes, okay, and in Sam's morning prayer, he described all of the Avengers and how they are so cool, and he thanked God for everything about those really cool Avenger shoes. Now, do you think God enjoyed that prayer, okay? Absolutely. Right? Because that was so much more honest than some of the proper prayers that I have prayed in my life. Okay, what does God want from us? He wants us to be honest. Okay, so be honest with God. In your pain, in your joy, in whatever life is doing to you right now, be honest about it with God. All right, also, we've made the point in the sermon series so far uh, that lament is really an act of faith. Right? We are taking our complaints, we are taking our pain, we are taking our suffering to the Lord of all creation with the confidence that He's the one who's in charge anyway. If ever we're going to take our complaints to someone who can actually do something about them, then let's take our pain and our complaints to God. He's the only one who can really handle everything anyways. Okay, hopefully, if nothing else, you've gotten the point from the first three chapters of this book that when the bottom falls out of your life, the absolute most appropriate thing, the best thing that you could ever do as a Christian is lament about it to God. Okay? And in the first three laments that we looked at, the first three chapters of the book of Lamentations, there is an immediacy to the pain. The trauma is something fresh. That searing pain is just right there. And in that moment of pain and anguish, what you do as a person of faith is you cry out about it to God. God, I am in pain and I need you to see it. God, my life hurts. God, I want you to see my pain and I want you to bring me comfort. As you read the first three chapters of this book, you can feel the raw emotion of the poet. But now we turn the page, we hit lament number four, and you see that there's a sudden shift that's taken place between lamentations number three and lamentations number four. The immediacy of the trauma is over. 
Our pain now is something that's in the past. Now what we're dealing with is not that raw, searing emotion of when I'm first hurt. Now what we're dealing with is what do you do several months down the line when that pain is still there, but it's not so raw anymore. Right. Notice verse 1 of chapter 4, because this is an incredibly startling image. He says, How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. All right, back when my grandparents uh, were getting to the stage in life where they couldn't take care of themselves anymore, uh, we moved them to Oklahoma where we were. And my dad and his brother went and cleaned out the house that they grew up in that my grandparents had lived in all these years. And as they were cleaning out the house and, and getting everything ready to move, move them to Oklahoma, uh, my dad in one of the closets reached his hand up and felt along the inside doorpost and felt something. He pulled down a money clip full of big bills, okay, because my grandfather liked to hide money, right, because growing up in the Depression, what do you do? You hide your money, okay? Now, when my dad found that stack of money, do you think he was excited? Absolutely, right? If you went home today and found a big stack of money in your house, how excited would you be about that? Okay? You'd be fairly excited. Okay, so here's my question. What would have to be going on in your life to where if you found a pile of money, you would look at it and say, who cares? Okay, because that's the image that we start with in lament number four. Because of the pain that our author has endured, something as substantial as gold and sacred gems are now dull and worthless. We can just scatter them on a street corner because nobody cares. Okay, even children, the most precious thing that he can imagine, are now like clay pots. Why would you say clay pots? Because that's the least exciting thing you can ever think about in the world. Hey, what would have to be going on in your life for you to see things as precious as children and piles of money and just think, who cares? His pain is so real, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about money. He doesn't care about kids. He doesn't care about anything. Okay, here's what I think is going on in the life of the poet. Right After the initial pain is over, after that searing agony of first encountering real pain, comes numbness. Right? And if you've ever been in real trauma, you know that it begins with intensity. Right? Why is this happening to me? What can we do? That pain burns brightly. That's what we saw in Lamentations 1-3. through 3. But now that we're in lament number 4, we're in the aftermath of pain. And what happens after that initial searing pain is numbness. We are just numb. Okay, there are no calls in this one for God to look and see. Okay, we're past that. Okay, interestingly also, Lamentations number four is shorter than the first three chapters. It is almost as if the poet doesn't even have the energy to engage in a long lament like we did for the first three chapters. He doesn't care anymore. Why? Because after pain comes numbness. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but you ever been there? You ever been through something serious and then 
after that initial pain is over, you just feel numb inside. You don't care about anything. You get to a point in your pain that you just don't care. You don't care about people. You don't care about money. The thought of just getting out of bed in the morning makes you tired. You don't have the mental or emotional energy to do anything. All right, the next eight verses in this lament, uh, he goes back and talks about how traumatic the, the experience was, but then notice down in verse 11. Right, he says, The Lord has given full vent to His wrath. He has poured out His fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. Okay, yet again, who are we blaming for this trauma? We're blaming God, right? God, you could have saved us this pain. God, you could have intervened in my life, but you chose not to. We blame God for our pain, but we recognize there's more to it than that. Notice also starting in verse 13. It says, But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grope through the streets as if they were blind, They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. Okay, All of this should be familiar to us from the other laments. We recognize that God is ultimately responsible for what happens, and that if God had acted, we wouldn't be in pain. But we also know that a lot of our suffering comes because we live in a world that is broken by sin. Right? There is a sin element here that has caused the suffering that we are in. We live in a broken world. All right, skip down to verse 17. It says, moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers, we watched for a nation that could save, that could not save us. All right, we've talked about this in Lamentations. We've talked about this in other contexts, too, in both classes and sermons. All right, but where do we tend to look for salvation? Okay, everywhere, right? We look to lots of different places seeking a source of salvation. We tend to think, well, if I just had enough money or if I just had enough power or if I just had the right relationships or pleasures or whatever it is, right? If I could just get X, then I'd be happy or then I would feel my salvation, right? We look for lots of saviors in our lives. And what's the problem, though, that inevitably happens whenever we look outside of God for salvation? you're always disappointed, right? Okay, the lamenter in chapter 4 says we looked for some other nation to come save us, but what happened when we tried to pin our hopes for salvation somewhere else? It didn't work. All right, notice verse 21, because I want you to see how this, this lament ends, and then we'll talk about what we can do with any of this. All right, verse 21. Rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom. You who live in the land of us, but to you also the cup will be passed. You will be drunk and stripped naked. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile, but he will punish your sin, daughter Edom, and expose your wickedness. All right, my metaphor for this is not perfect, so again, don't press my metaphor too far. Uh, but I think this gets to the point of how of the, the last image in Lamentations chapter 4. Okay? I want you to imagine for a minute uh, that you have an older car. All right? And your car is constantly in the shop just to keep it running. Um, you've had the car for a long time, but it's kind of a piece of junk. You would love to be able to upgrade to a new car, but you just don't have the money right now. 
Okay, so you get that car out of the shop, you drive it home, as soon as you pull into your driveway, you look underneath the car and there's some mystery fluid that's leaking out again, all right? Any of you ever driven that car? Any of you driving that car right now? Okay, you got that image in your mind, all right. So as you're, you're worried about your car, your neighbor pulls into his driveway in his brand new Mercedes convertible, and it's a beautiful car. Okay, and as he gets out of the car, you can even catch a whiff of that new car smell coming off of it. All right? And then your condescending neighbor looks at your car and says, oh, why are you still driving that? And he says things like, well, you know, with my big year-end bonus, I thought, why not? Oh, don't worry, maybe someday you'll get to where I am and you can afford a car like mine. Okay? So you make your small talk, you go into your house. All right, that night... A storm blows through, okay? and the big tree that's sitting in front of both of your houses falls over and totally demolishes your neighbor's brand new car. Okay, Now, I have a quiz for you. This is a multiple choice quiz. What do you feel inside? A. Do you feel so sad and sorry for your neighbor and his loss of his car? Uh, there's more options here, don't worry. You're all just looking at me going, nope. <laughs> okay. Option B, do you feel completely indifferent about this because it has absolutely nothing to do with you what the state of his car is? Or C, I'm going to look really sad on the outside when I go see my neighbor, but on the inside I'm throwing a little party. Okay, A, B, or C. Okay. All right, here's my point. Why would we ever feel happy about someone else's suffering? Hey, what is wrong with you people? Hey, why do we feel happy about our neighbor's suffering? Because it makes us feel better about our own pain. Okay, at the end of lament number four, the poet turns to Edom, which is the neighbor of Judah. Okay, this is our neighbor that we've been in conflict with for many centuries now. Okay, and the author of our poem gets excited that Edom, who is rejoicing now, will soon suffer her own time of punishment and misery. Okay, right now, Edom is doing great and laughing at, at Judah for her punishment, but the author says that the tables will turn soon and Judah will be restored and Edom will be suffering, and so now our author is celebrating. Okay? All right, so what do we do with this poem? All right, this is, this is a heavy poem. All right, this is not something that you read right before you go to sleep at night and have pleasant dreams about, okay? What do we do with Lamentations number four? All right, I've got two things. If you're taking notes, you can write these two things down. Uh, to get into the first one, though, I want to tell you a story. Hey, when I was a kid, um, like many kids, I got a small allowance. My parents gave me a couple of dollars each week. Uh, which, as a little kid, I thought that was big money, right? Because uh, it's spent real well when you're a little kid and don't have any expenses. And so I spent money primarily on three things when I was a little kid. I spent money on candy, because uh, you can never have enough candy. Uh, I spent money on video games, because I had a Nintendo, and that was awesome. Uh, and then I also, number three, spent money on coins, okay? I was a coin collector, uh, and I would go to different little coin shops and buy little silver quarters and other coins, and I had my coin collection. All right. What out of those three items was my best investment? Okay. Well, where's the candy? 
It's gone, okay? I don't have my Nintendo anymore. It's gone, okay? But I still have all those coins, and it turns out those $2 coins at the time are now worth 5 or $6 today, and I've got several hundred dollars in silver coins sitting at my house. It was a good investment. Didn't know that at the time, but I'm glad I did it, right? All right, here's my first point for us, and that is to invest in things that last, Okay, invest in things that last. Long term in life, the gold will always lose its luster. Whatever things are going on in your life right now that get you really excited are temporary. Okay, what we get from that last image in the book of, of Edom rejoicing and Judah suffering and how the tables will turn is that whatever's going on in your life right now, one thing I can promise you is it will eventually change, right? Invest in what lasts. Okay, so here's the question. If you look at the way that you're spending your time and energy today, can you honestly say that you are investing in things that last? Because here's part of what the author of Lamentations knows. The only thing that will truly last for all time is the relationship that you are cultivating with God today. Everything else in your life will one day fade. Everything else in your life pales in comparison with investing in a relationship with God Almighty. Eventually, you will go through significant pain in your life. The only thing that will be there at the end of it is whatever relationship you are cultivating with God today. Is that fair? All right. Here's the next part. Once upon a time, there was a man. He lived an incredible life of faith in God. Right, this man was the youngest of his brothers. Nobody took him very seriously. After all, he was just a shepherd boy. Uh, but because of his faith, God blessed him. In faith, he killed a giant. In faith, he conquered the enemies of Israel. In faith, he united all of God's people and reigned over them as king for 40 years. Right, he had personal failings. But forever afterwards, he was known as a man after God's own heart, and all future kings of Israel would be measured against him. Okay, who am I talking about? David. We like that story. All right, let me tell you another story. Once upon a time, there was a man. This man lived an incredible life of faith in God. He was only a teenager when God called him and told him that he would be a preacher and would be the voice of God. The problem, though, was that nobody wanted to listen to what he had to say. He had a long prophetic career, but regularly he was beaten for his words. There were many other preachers in the land, and everyone liked to listen to the other preachers much better than they liked listening to him because all the other preachers told things that the people wanted to hear. This preacher, though, knew that God's people would be destroyed, and he kept trying to tell them they would be destroyed, but nobody listened. His peers left him for dead several times. If you look at his life, there are no glory moments. There's no time when he's exonerated for his great faith. Instead, he lives an incredibly difficult life, left for dead several times, eventually is dragged to Egypt against his will, and he finally dies depressed and destitute. Who am I talking about this time? Okay, Jeremiah. 
but not as many of you knew that answer as you knew the first one, right? Why? Because we lift up the first character much more than we lift up the second character. But what do the two characters have in common? Okay? They have a couple of things in common. One, both of them were men of incredible faith. Both of them did things they never would have been able to do unless God had empowered them to do those things. Okay, both of them were faithful to God throughout their lives. Okay? More importantly, though, what the two of them have in common, and this is going to sound weird, but follow me for just a second, but the two of them have in common the fact that they're both dead. Okay? The two of them have in common that neither one of them right now cares about how good of a life they lived centuries ago. All right? Here's my point, and here's what I think is part of what Lamentations is getting at, and that is we need to remember that your journey is temporary. In the grand scheme of things, whether you live an incredibly comfortable life as a king or an incredibly destitute life on the run for your life as a prophet, your journey is incredibly temporary. You may have an awesome life. You may be the world's most interesting man. You may be the star of the next set of beer commercials that talk about how interesting your life is, right? Those Dos Equis commercials were great, right? You may get to live that kind of life. I'm not advocating the product. I'm saying the commercials, the stories they told, right? You may have this incredibly comfort-filled life full of every pleasure and everything goes your way and life will be great for you. And I hope that it is and that would be wonderful and great. Or maybe you will have a horrible life. Maybe at the end of your life, you'll get to win the worst life award. Okay, either way, your life is a blip in the grand scheme of things. Right now, neither David or Jeremiah care about their quality of life. The only thing that matters is whether or not they lived lives of faith. Your life situation, the amount of pain and suffering that you're enduring, is not nearly as important as whether or not you're living it in relationship to God. The only thing that matters about your life and mine is whether we are living with both the joys and the pains in relationship with God. Everything else is meaningless. All right, we're going to do this for one more week, and then we're going to have a happier topic for our next sermon series. But I think it's important for us to know that Scripture takes our pain seriously. God takes our pain seriously. He wants to be with us in our pain. No matter what you're going through in your life this morning, what God wants more than anything else is for you to do it in relationship with Him. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. And we would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Uh, During this song, this is the time for us as the church to be here for you. And before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.